Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Kenny Weiss, the founder of The Greatness Movement and author of Your Journey to Success. His ability to explain the impact of trauma and pain on our lives and then also how to move from total failure to greatness is almost unmatched. So we had a great time diving deep into how to heal old wounds and trauma, overcome defeat, and move towards your greatness. Let's dive right in. I'm going to have you write my intros from now on. That was amazing. <laughs> You're going to have to email that to me. That was great. <laughs> I appreciate to it. Totally very well, very well deserved, as I, as I told you before. And you know, okay, what I really admire about you is like you've really experienced everything from the yeah. lowest lows to the highest highs, and you yeah. share it so openly and vulnerably. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, as the time goes by, how is your you know, definition of success or the journey to success, how's that evolved over time? And you know, at this stage well, in your life, what is success to you? That's a great question because I, I realize my definition, it, it's much different now than I wrote the book because when I wrote the book, well, I see now I would have never used the word success in the title of my book. I know even and as I look through the book, I can tell by the words I'm choosing, I'm in the process of separating out how I define success and greatness. Wow. And success to me is a problem. Success is an external process. We've all been taught to pursue success. It's the corner office, the trophy husband or wife, the car, the, you know, the wealth and riches. So in other words, success is always something, a possession or something we attain outside of ourselves, which we're using to try and validate, but it never works. That's why so many so-called successful people die, kill themselves, burn out, you know, just it's because the pursuit of success to me is incorrect. It, it's a false pursuit. It's meant to medicate intolerable pain. Um, and what I prefer to call it now um, is greatness. And greatness to me is a completely different process. That's internal. And the way to achieve your greatness in my experience is you must Go become an expert in all your pain, all your darkness, all those things all of us have been told to avoid, never talk about, never deal with, just be happy. It's in the past. Well, when you know the science of how the brain and body works, it's never in the past until you go deal with it. And so the process of greatness is going back and reworking all of that. And when you do that, then you are able to live to your highest potential because it's always that pain that's keeping us from success or whatever it is you're pursuing. And the other thing that happens when you pursue greatness is wherever you are in that journey, you're at peace. Where it's success, it always requires attaining something. But as soon as you attain it, I mean, we've all done it. We bought a car and a week or two later, we're, there's you know, like we didn't breathe on it. We're washing it every day, but two weeks later it's covered in McDonald's, you know, we're like, who cares? And that's what happens with success because it's all external. Greatness is the complete opposite. There's always a sense of whether my life is so-called successful or destructive, whatever, I'm at peace. Well, to me, that's the goal in life. And when you pursue that, the so-called success comes 
and it has a completely different feeling and fabric and experience than the way we've all been taught to pursue it. So it's a much different process and definition than I hear anyone else talk about. Yeah, absolutely love that. If I'm getting you right here, it's really a process of moving from focusing on the external stuff to the internal stuff and to focusing on how I can really fulfill my highest potential, right? And so yeah. just this morning, actually, I was talking to Chris Cook, Olympic uh, swimmer from Great Britain, and he was sharing the story of, you know, Michael Phelps, how he swam against that, right? And like, Michael Phelps, I find this so interesting. It's like, after he won his whatever, 19s or whatever gold medal it was, right? He got depressed. Yeah. Like, to be the greatest Olympic athlete of all time and become depressed is such a fascinating thing because like the external success, you realize it doesn't make him happy. You just proved my point. Yes, he exactly. He was chasing something outside of himself to fill intolerable pain, to medicate. A de depression is the depressed self, who we authentically are. We don't know how to live in it. So it's been depressed. We're separated from it. And so people who are depressed, they're pursuing an external, they don't, they, they, in childhood, they had their authenticity taken from them. They don't know how to reclaim it. So they keep medicating and searching like we've all been taught externally. And so like, literally you just proved my point. So now he's discovering like what I talk about that actually true success, or as I call it, greatness is all internal. And whether you get those 19 gold medals or not, doesn't even matter yeah it's about finding the peace inside and well if you read his story now his whole journey is dealing with his pain he's finally turning towards it and now he's finding as he calls it true success and i call it greatness and so that's the misnomer everybody not everybody most people want to stay away from this the stuff i talk about and deal yeah. with but eventually they will find me. They will get in enough pain and they'll go, damn it, he was right. I've <laughs> got to go deal with this stuff. So at some point, I'm usually the last, it's like there's a, a, a lady, she's an um, expert in personal development and self-defense and, and she just did a testimonial video. of She spent over $100,000 at all the, I, I want to be careful here, all the big name, brands and personal development that we all know about learned a ton of stuff but could never get over the hump and then she found my stuff and the analogy she used is she went to their master level courses the ten thousand dollar retreats and everything and as she said i realize now those were my bachelor's degree when i found kenny's <laughs> started working with him that was my master's degree and that's that's the typical client or person that gravitates towards my stuff. They've been to counseling, they've been to therapy, they've been to all the great thought leaders and the weekend getaways. They learn stuff, they got better, but they wake up just like me and go, something's missing, they're, they're not telling you everything. And that's when they find my stuff, they're ready for it. Because most people won't come to me from the beginning, it's too much. Yeah, because um, it is a painful process, right? Yeah, to yeah. like literally face your biggest fears and traumas and pains and have to yeah. deal with that. And no one showed us how. And that's what I'm an expert in is here's the process. Like I don't just describe here's why your life isn't working, but here's how you change it. These are the steps you, you have to take. Well, that's a journey and, and that's, it's not an easy process. Um, I don't sugarcoat it. I don't, that's why I don't do what I call them adrenaline weekend events, two, three day transformational weekends, because they don't work. They create an incredibly, it's a psychological manipulation. 
you will walk out of there feeling absolutely amazing on a yes. massive high for 24 to 72 hours and then you crash because your brain can't process all of the information. It's way too much. This process of finding your greatness is a lifelong pursuit. It takes years. Well, nobody wants to hear that in this. <laughs> we want to sell, you know, I can turn your life around in, in this one event. You'll be rich and you'll get the secret. And I'm like, yeah, that, yeah. I <laughs> if that worked, then. <laughs> yeah, that's just not the truth. And you'll make improvements and you'll have breakthroughs. But the process is a very long process. And I know that because I lived it. And then I went and became an expert in how the process of how change and, and how we move all through all these things. It takes years. It just does. There isn't anybody who's immune. We cannot do it instantly. It's not, the brain and body isn't designed for that level of massive transformation. It's always, even people will say, I had this breakthrough moment, but you sit and talk with them. There were signposts for years that led them to that breakthrough moment. Yes, for sure. Now, I definitely want to dive deeper later in, in, in this, the show here into really how people can do that and how people can make those shifts over the long run. But maybe for our listeners that aren't really familiar with your work, can you first of all share a little bit about you know, the worst day cycle and yeah. how does trauma from, you know, whether it's childhood or whatever else actually affects us like in our decision making throughout our entire yeah. lives? Well, do you mind if I kind of give you this, you know, kind of short bio that got me to discover? Oh, all this? sure. Yes, please. With that? Basically, um, what happened for me is I was 10 years old. I woke up in the middle of the night just to use the bathroom. I open up the door, flip on the light, and there's my mom passed out naked on the toilet. It's the day I discovered she was an alcoholic. And as I say, we as a society don't teach anything about how to be a parent, how to have a relationship, how to deal with our emotions. So we are all massively ill-equipped to handle moments like that. No one taught my parents, so they couldn't help themselves out of that pain, and so they couldn't help me. So from there, I suffered through multiple addictions, two horrific divorces in one of those marriages. I was both physically and verbally abused, a horrific child custody battle, a bankruptcy. I played two pro sports I see now. I never wanted to play either of them. And then finally, I spent three days holed up in my apartment trying to write my kids a suicide note. And the easy part was describing the pain I was in. What got me into trouble is when I went to justify the choice. See, for over 30 years, all I've been doing is studying personal development because ever since I was a kid, I could just walk in a room and I can feel what's going on in people. So I was fascinated with one, why can I do that? But look at my life story. I'm a complete train wreck. So I've been reading books, going to events, counselors, therapy, like for 30 years trying to figure this stuff out. So every sentence I wrote, I'm like, that's codependence, that's manipulative, that's transference. In other words, I could not shrink myself. I knew too much psychology. But in that moment, this is where I talk about those epiphanies. I, uh, I realized I shouldn't be here. I've been chasing this for 30 years, going to all the experts and everything, yet I'm still here. And this is common for almost everybody. So I went back in my office and I wrote down, I want to come up with a process that nobody else has discovered that will fundamentally change society. And over the next year, year and a half, I switched my focus. 
And you know how it is with instinct and intuition. You think you might know why something's happening, but if no one's talking about it, you're like, well, I must be wrong. Yeah. Well, when I dove into the science of what happens in trauma, addiction, fear, stress, all these things, I'm like, oh my God, I'm right. It's right here. Why isn't anyone talking about this? This is the information everybody needs. And this is why no one gets over the hump. And that's when I discovered the cycle. And the cycle has four stages. Trauma, fear, shame, and denial. Every single person on this planet has been through massive, massive trauma in childhood. Yet, in my experience, over 80% of people will say, no, my childhood was great. Parents were perfect. And I go, <laughs> okay, let me ask you two questions. I've asked these two questions thousands of times and nobody's ever been able to get past them. The first question is this. When you were a child and you felt angry, sad, or scared at anything your parents did or said, in that moment, could you have a discussion with them? Get in your room. I don't want to hear about it. And no back talking. Like that's the experience we've all had. The second question is this. Do you have any type of secret from your parents? Anything you've done, you believe, anything? Well, we all do. Yes. Well, here's why that's devastating and why that's traumatic. We have two needs as a species. The first one is attachment. We will literally die unless we physically and emotionally attach to another human being. The other need we have is the pursuit of our authenticity, our inherent power, who we are meant to be and express ourselves individually, what I call our greatness. We'll look at what those two questions show. If I try and express my authenticity, my parents squash it. They deny it. We're not allowed to go there. The second question is even more devastating. If my parents found out about this secret, if they knew who I authentically, who I really was, what would I lose? Attachment. Death. Wow. That creates a massive, massive power vacuum. We lose our inherent greatness, our inherent power throughout childhood. Those moments happen repeatedly. Now, the reason that's devastating is the second thing that happens. In that moment, for the first time in our life, we learn denial. We learn to deny the truth that our parents are perfectly imperfect and they're hurting us. We have to do that because they're our source of survival. The other thing we learn is to deny our own truth, our own power, our own authenticity, and that leads to the third problem, what I call the scales of injustice. Every single one of us is in massively high denial. That high denial, when we're in denial, we have no truth, no authenticity, because we can't see it. We're denying truth. Well, because of that, we all suffer massive, massively so low self-esteem. Well, that kicks us into fear. And I don't have time to go into the three levels of fear. I don't want to eat up your whole show. <laughs> but I break down fear in a way that nobody else ever has that you, whenever you're stressed or anxious or afraid, you ask these three questions, you have an answer, you can switch right out of it. But the key to know about fear is what happens to us biochemically. What happens when we go into fear is we create an emotional chemical addiction in our brain and body. And our brain seeks to repeat that over and over because our brain does not know right from wrong. It knows known versus unknown. And so, even we've all had the experience, we know what the right and wrong thing is to do, but we repeat what we know. 
Well, the overwhelming nature of that power vacuum sends us into shame. And this is where the stuff I talk about really confronts people. Two things happen in shame. Because we had to deny our authenticity, we all created false personas. I became an athlete just to try and get my dad to love me. So that's the first thing. We create a false persona to try and get attachment with our parents. The second thing we do is we will all then, as adults, victimize ourselves. We will literally choose every single choice. I can sit with anyone and every hobby, career, all they're ever doing is re-victimizing themselves. Why? Because what happens when I'm the victim? I get sick, I get hurt, bad relationship. Everybody comes to my rescue. That gives me power. And the second way I get power is, remember as a kid, I had no choice. My parents took it from me. Well, now as an adult, I choose it. I get my power back. Now, that sends us into denial because look at what I'm asking you to admit. One, I'm not who I think I am. I'm living a false authenticity. And two, that I am the author of my own self-destruction. Well, who wants to admit any of that? No one's shown us the process, how to get around that. So that kicks the cycle over and over and over. And I wanna go back to shame because for everyone, they're like, I don't victimize myself. That's a bunch of garbage. Well, let me, let me just give you a couple examples from society. What happens in a riot? We get upset with the government, the police, and what do we do? We destroy our own neighborhood. We victimize yes. ourselves. How do we celebrate as a culture? We win an event, we get a raise, a promotion, we all get drunk, we get <laughs> stoned, we overeat, we all destroy ourselves. And I could go on for days how we as a culture repeatedly, and then when you do this, the research on, on medicine and like even the CDC estimates between 85 and 95% of all, all illness and disease is the cause of emotion from trauma that's trapped in the body that hasn't been dealt with. We get sick and hurt because we're in so much trauma and no one's shown us how to work it out. I work with countless clients who have terrible afflictions. We deal with the underlying trauma and it goes away. So at any rate, I could go on and on, but that gives you a basic idea of how the cycle works and how we're all doing this to ourselves. And you can see why the things I talk about, it's not sunny and flowery and easy stuff. You're gonna have to confront long-standing beliefs that you've had since childhood, and that's not easy to do. And, and I can sit with anyone, and in less than 15, 20 minutes, I can break down their life as to why they are where they are because of the cycle. Literally, nobody's immune from it. It is a human dynamic. If you've taken the DISC profile, the Myers-Briggs profile, all of those, all those are the maladaptive false personas you created because of the trauma in childhood. When you work on the cycle, those profiles will shift. The whole five love languages, all those tell me are the needs you didn't get met in childhood. And that's where the book stops short. They, they, they've created a great coping mechanism. I want you, my spouse or partner, to meet these unmet needs in childhood, but they're not teaching. This is why I say I go deeper. They're not teaching, wait a minute, if you truly want to heal, you need to go heal why you need words of affirmation, why you need quality time. You go heal that, and all of a sudden you don't make that demand on your partner. You learn to meet that need on yourself. So 
at any rate, I could go on and on about how this parlays into everything in our life. So. Wow, this, this is literally so, so powerful. And, and to me, it sounds like we're using these external things, whether it's, you know, the five love languages or success in sports or business, whatever, almost like, a, a, like an external drug to kind of hide from the pain, right? Yes, yeah. And look, you have to realize, I don't blame anyone. I mean, the first book on psychology wasn't written until the 1870s. Okay. Freud comes along in 1920. And it really wasn't until the 1970s with Oprah, Phil Donahue, the TV talk shows, where for millions of years in our existence, literally 50 years ago, it just became societally acceptable to actually talk about pain, relationships, and stuff like that. So literally, as a species, we haven't even, emotionally and psychologically, we haven't even discovered tools, fire, that the earth isn't flat. Like we are so in the early stages of emotional development as a species. And people want to argue with me because I'm like, I believe the most emotionally mature adult on this planet operates at about a kindergarten, first grade level, <laughs> what we're capable of. Well, look at, and here's the proof. Look at advertising. All advertising is geared towards that age group. Why? And it's all emotion-based. Advertising yes. always, because that's where we are as a species emotionally. They're meeting us where we are. If you do, this part of the problem with some of my stuff, it really forces you to think, well, it's tough to advertise because people are like, no, no, no. I, I, want, I want to feel what I know, what's always been out there. And so that's my, like I said, change the society. My goal is, It would be wonderful if, if society could get to second, third, or fourth grade emotionally. That's my goal. You know, think of the advancements in relationships and trauma and addiction if we could mature and grow emotionally. That's the solution. None of the other, you know, stuff that's being advocated out there. We just yeah. need to grow more emotionally. So I don't blame anybody. You can only do what you know. And if, just like my parents, No one taught them how to recover from addiction or pain. I hold them accountable. They could have gone and learned about it and they didn't. And I'll hold anyone accountable. You still have a choice like me. I had a choice. I went and learned about it. And so my life has gotten better. And I, I, I won't let somebody play the victim and go, well, I mean, I don't blame you for that having happened to you. Here's the analogy. I use this in my book. Imagine somebody walking down the street, minding their own business, and they get shot by a sniper right in the leg. They're on the sidewalk, bleeding, just bleeding out. They still have, like, they didn't do anything. It's, it's not their fault, but they still have a choice. They can speak to the people walking by and ask for help. And if no one helps yes. them, they can still get up, crawl, get to the emergency room. But here's the other thing. Even if they get to the emergency room and they get the bullet removed, it's still their responsibility to go to rehab and relearn. And that's, I will never, it is not loving to not hold somebody accountable to that. And I will hold my parents and every parent, if you chose as a parent not to go become an expert as a parent and deal with your own trauma, I won't let you off the hook. You have made a choice to be irresponsible and that has consequences. And we all have to face that. 
And if you don't want to, I get it. I understand it's not easy work, but it would be unloving of me not to hold you accountable for that. You know, I love that because what it does is it gives someone the power back, right? Like the moment you accept that like, hey, this is my responsibility and almost my duty, right? Like you, yeah. you also accept that you can change. You can well, remember, adapt, yeah. you can get better. And you just like that perfectly said, and look at what the cycle, look at what creates the cycle. Our power was stripped from us. So the whole recovery process that I'm teaching is how do you regain your power? Yes. Well, the only way to get it is, is when you, like I say this, every single choice we make, all we're ever doing is re-victimizing ourselves. Well, no one wants to hear that, but look at the power I'm giving you. If that means I'm the one responsible, that means I can actually fix it. I'm no longer helpless and hopeless and the victim, like life changes. I'm free. That's greatness. That's yes. not success. That empowers me. That's why I can be perfectly okay in the process. I don't need to get to the end because I know that every so-called bad thing that shows up, the only reason it's showing up is one, I'm ready. And two, this is trauma. This bad situation has shown up to expose to me the trauma I still haven't faced and addressed. Part of the cycle. So, oh my God, bring it on. I love it when my life gets so-called bad because that means I'm going to uncover another layer. I'm going to empower myself, my member of the scales of injustice. The only way out of this is to become an expert in your denial because what happens when you confront your denial? You gain truth. You actually yes. see, oh my God, I'm the problem. Well, what does that lead to? Authenticity. <laughs> I can see all of my perfect imperfections. Well, when I can have truth and authenticity, what do I get? Self-esteem. Oh, cover it. That's the repair. That. And once I have self-esteem, what can I do from this place? I can forgive myself. I can forgive you. I'm free. I'm in my greatness. That you can't get pursuing any type of success. That's how you, to me, live the journey of life and have the success you want because you're pursuing internal greatness. That's the way out. Absolutely love that. And I want to take you back for a second to what you mentioned before about, you know, fourth grade level emotional sort of control. What would that like in an ideal world look like to you? Like, is it about the ability to really face those inadequacies, inadequacies face those like traumas and actually openly... Yeah you know, discuss them, share them, or like accept them and embrace them? Yeah, it, 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 exactly. It would be people, I mean, simple examples would be when somebody gets pregnant, the first thing they do is they sign up for classes. They, they look <laughs> for parenting experts. Um, it would also mean that adults at whatever age, 20, 30, 40, 70 years old, are going back and learning about the cycle. They're, they're recovering their trauma. They're speaking openly about it and sharing it. <clears throat> we all try and hide our imperfections. The answer is in the complete opposite. See, it's like I say, when you learn to forgive yourself, remember the scales of injustice. <clears throat> we reclaim our authenticity. We can forgive ourselves. And so what I always say is when you learn to forgive yourself, they can't hurt you with it anymore. Yeah. So you can call me anything under the sun and I'm like, like, here's an example. Uh, maybe it was about a year ago. 
a woman the day after my podcast, I do a podcast every Sunday night. She wrote a comment, you're an awful man. Wow. Well, someone who hasn't done the work would argue with that. Well, I paused and I went, well, let's think about, it. let's see divorces, child custody battles, cheated on a wife. My second wife um, was an escort. We had an open relationship. Um, I knew she was an escort. I basically, I have to own that I, I really turned into her pimp. Um, I have a son that I've never met before. I, now I met him as a child, but I denied him. That's a whole long story. I've reached out to him. He's not ready for a relationship. And so anyway, I looked, I got out of denial, faced how my pain and trauma, I medicated away and, de and denied things, which created all this pain in my life. I, I looked at it, addressed it, and in doing so, I got out of denial and admitted, oh my God, I've done a lot of awful things in my life, which allowed my self-esteem to come up, forgive wow. myself. And so when she calls me an awful man, I pause and I go, well, you know what? She's right. I've done a lot of awful things in my life. Now, because I've done the research, I know narcissism, sociopathy, all of that. I know I'm not on that level where I'm evil, awful. I'm perfectly imperfect. And so her comment of you're an awful man, I thought about him like, well, she's right. And so my response to her was, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and taking the risk seeing me and all of me for who I am and being willing to risk sharing that, that you see everything about me, that takes guts. I appreciate your courage and honesty. Wow, I guess she didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, she like, she freaked her out. Like, here's the other side of it. When you learn about denial, when, literally in every situation, whenever we judge, blame, criticize, hate anyone or anything, all we are ever seeing in them is a part of our worst day cycle we haven't addressed and haven't overcome. It's a projection. It, we see it in them because we're screaming back at ourselves, I need to face this. So underlying her calling me awful, what that told me is something in my show, she saw herself, an area where she's in denial. She's stuck in the cycle. She doesn't want to do the work and admit Remember the scales of injustice? She doesn't want to admit the truth that, oh my God, I've been an awful person. I'm in denial of my authenticity and how perfectly imperfect I am. And so what she was doing was screaming back at me her own pain. See, since I know this, so that ends arguments. You asked, how do you get to fourth grade? Well, when you know how denial works and someone's yelling and screaming at you, what you sit there and listen and go, everything they're saying, while there may be truth, like with her, I went, oh, she's right, I can own it. But a lot of it were like, this isn't me. You no longer defend, because you realize they're just screaming their worst day cycle at you. They're telling you about their unhealed trauma and pain and what they're in denial of. Well, why would you need to argue with them? <laughs> they're just telling you about them. Like, the truth is, they're being massively vulnerable. Yes. Like, do you see how now in fourth grade, when someone so-called attacks us, what we see is, oh my God, they love me enough and feel close enough to me and trust me enough to show me their demons. How lucky wow. am I? Like, I'm blessed. But see, everyone else like listening, no, that's not true. They're awful. I'm not that. And I'm like, well, I can break that down in two seconds of 
to show you how, no, it's you. It's always you. And so that, like just that denial piece, think of marriages that the, the, we would still get angry at our spouses, but we would know that every accusation out of our mouth is us screaming back at ourselves. Like our spouse may do it, but we pick them. This is why we would pick them. And this is how attraction works. We pick them and their dysfunction because it's going to help us see the dysfunction we haven't dealt with. And so as I'm yelling at you and you may have cheated on me or whatever, but that tells me I wanted a relationship with a person who is incapable of being available emotionally. That means I'm still afraid to attach to somebody. I need to go deal with that. Thank you for cheating on me. I may not choose to be in a relationship with you any longer, but you've just shown me that I'm still scared to death of vulnerability and scared to death of picking somebody who's truly available for a relationship. You're a gift to me. It's like wow. I discovered, I'll, I'll give you a perfect, an example so it makes sense. My first wife, remember I said she was abusive. Well, when I learned the, con the cycle and, and the analogy I use is every single, you ever watch a 3D movie without the glasses? Yeah. <laughs> you know how it's like distorted? The yeah, it, it's weird, yeah. <laughs> but we still, we watch movies, so we kind of know what's going on. That's literally how everyone's lived their life. They've watched their parents, they kind of know what's going on. What people don't realize is every single choice we make, friends, hobbies, careers, relationships, all we're ever doing is reliving our trauma. We pick those to show us what we're in denial of, how we've lost our authenticity, how we're victimizing ourselves, and we chose it. So it's literally screaming back at us what we need, the trauma, the cycle, we need to go address and overcome. But what are we missing? The glasses. My book, my coaching, everything I do is the glasses. And so I'm going to give you an example. When I discovered the glasses, how I realized why I picked my first spouse and why she was such a gift for me. <clears throat> I have a newspaper article. I could literally go in my office and grab it from 32 years ago that talks about my older brother. He had just signed a contract with the New York Islanders. A couple of years later, I was going to turn pro. And the title of the article says, sibling rivalry led to ice proficiency for brothers. And the first two paragraphs talk about how Tom beat the hell out of me. And there was nothing I could do. Like he's huge. He's yeah. a massive guy. And the second paragraph is key. It says, but Kenny figured something out. He realized when his older brother would force him into the net while playing street hockey and shoot frozen tennis balls at his head, he realized that when he stopped his brother, it would piss him off. Now, remember the cycle, loss of power. My brother would kick the living hell out of me. I lost my power. I get in the net. I stop him, but I'm victimizing myself. I'm sitting in front of a frozen tennis ball and later a hard rubber disc going 100 miles an hour, getting the hell beat out of me, punched just like my brother. See how we're reliving it? Literally, but what did I learn? If I stop him, it pisses him off. How did I get my power back? I went and became the victim. I chose it to beat up my older brother. And now listen wow. to every single athlete talk about why they play the sport, why they like to hit somebody. They're going to tell you about their childhood trauma. That's the only reason they're playing. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't play. That's an individual decision. You have to do the cycle work to discover. But that article 
3D movie has been screaming back at me for 30 years. 3D movie, worst day cycle, brain seeks to repeat what it knows I don't want to play. Well, one thing my older brother used to do, I'm getting to why I picked an abusive spouse. My older brother used to literally hold me by my head and pummel me. He was so big, I was frozen. He could literally just manipulate me. I couldn't do anything, I was completely frozen. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever been hit by a woman? Completely frozen. 3D movie, worst day cycle, the brain seeks to repeat what it knows. I can sit with anyone who's been abused and they will have had moments in childhood that put them, that then trained them to seek out abusive partners. Now I'm not condoning abuse, but this is why I have a problem with the Me Too movement. They're not dealing with the core issue. They learned to put themselves in positions for these horrific things to happen to them. It only happened because they went through it in childhood. If we as a society taught the worst day cycle, you'd end the abuse, you'd end the Me Too movement, all of it. That's the solution. You must recover from that pain to stop the cycle. You must get out of denial. So there's some examples for you. Wow, yes, those are just so many profound insights. So, so do you think that this really, you know, your, your young older brother, you know, beating you up as a child, do you feel like that actually was the thing that then led you to become pro athlete in two sports that yeah. you actually didn't enjoy? Well, it, it's one of the, there, there were, I, I played hockey and golf and there are a couple of reasons why I picked those sports. The, I'll give you the correlations. My dad was beat to death as a kid. He never hit us, but he was filled with rage. It became my job as a child to sit in front of his rage. I was never, and then I had an older brother who'd beat me up. I couldn't do anything. I was never allowed to express my anger as a child. It was always expressed on me. So look at the two sports I played, a goalie and hockey. Who's to blame if I let in a goal? Me. Who can I blame? Me. Who can I yell at? Me. It was the only safe way for me to dump my anger. I would just scream and yell and belittle myself. I put myself in a position to try and get the anger out. We'll look at golf. Same thing. Who's to blame? Me. Internally, I just destroy myself. I would yell and scream. I could only yell and scream at myself. I was never allowed to voice my pain or anger. Now, here's the other thing. Remember I said earlier, because as a kid, I can just feel what's going on in people. And I've always had this emotional ability, even before I got the expertise by studying. The second I'd open my mouth as a kid, everybody would shut me down because I saw the world differently. I would challenge things. And, and so I was never, I very rarely was I allowed to speak. Well, again, look at the two sports I played. Does anyone talk to a goalie? They don't even sit on the bench with the team. They're on an island, completely <laughs> isolated, right? What about golf? Even the crowd doesn't talk, completely silent. See, that's the thing. When you go do this work, you literally see, oh, my God, this is why I chose it. Now, there are certain, remember I talked about false personas. 
There are certain maladaptive personas we pick up that actually work for us. But that's the discovery process in all of this. Like, I mean, obviously I learned great, one of the great things about hockey is, or as a goalie is, my gift is reading people, the psychology. Well, the puck moves so fast, all you're doing as goalie is reading. Like my ability to scan the environment and see and feel what's going on with people went through the roof being a goalie. So part of my false persona actually was me trying to create the gift that I now have. So, but this is the journey is learning to decipher where did it make me the victim, but where did it also make me find my authenticity? Because remember, I can always read people. Well, part of being a goalie gave me that gift. What about golf? You're reading the green, you're reading the wind, do you see? So I'm honing my skill of intuition and reading and insight, but overwhelmingly, both of those pursuits had me reliving massive trauma. And so you learn to decipher. And so now, th that's the other thing. This is the first career I've ever picked. Hockey for my dad, construction, when I, I built homes and custom furniture for my first wife, uh, golf for my second wife. I'd never yeah. picked a career because I was never allowed to speak my truth, my voice. This is the first career. Like, I could, we could do a show for 12 hours and I could just keep showing you correlation mm -hmm. after correlation of mine and other clients and everything. It's, it's everybody. Nobody is immune from this. And that's why I feel the, the information is so valuable because remember the 3D movie? Life makes sense. It just makes sense. You just go, oh, that's why I did it. Big deal. Yes, like using this lens, using these glasses really allows you to, to understand yourself so much deeper. So I'm so curious, like how did you know then that like you wanted to pick this mission of now speaking and coaching and all that? How do you know that this was like your authentic self talking this time? Okay, that, that's another great story. Um, as I came out of the suicide and knew that I wanted to come with a process, I was blank. I remember I wasn't really allowed to make my own decisions. I didn't know how. But ultimately what I discovered was, I, 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 I've always known this. When I found my mom, my defense mechanism, my ability to read people is what I used, I thought, to protect me. I was always way out front reading you, trying to control you so I didn't get hurt. Well, that, it's called hypervigilance. When you're so aware of everybody else and trying to control everything, it actually boomerangs back on you. And that's why I was in so much pain. And so I knew that was the one area of my recovery I'd never been willing to let go of. And I write about in the book, I realized, I was like, tomorrow you're gonna have to wake up and not know what to do and not try and control things. And I still remember walking down the hallway crying as I went to my bed that night and slept. And, I woke up the next morning, I got out of bed, I walked to the end of the hallway and I stood there and I was dead blank. And I'm like, what do I do now? And I just started bawling. And for the first time in my life, no thoughts, empty. Because remember, we're always trying to control and figure stuff out. Well, it had ended. I, and so I just sat there. And then I heard a voice go, sit on the couch. So I sat on the couch and then I heard, walk to the gym. And I just kept crying and, and 
I realized like I, the, the 11th chapter in my book, I, I talk about how to let life come because we've all been raised incorrectly on what I call the night philosophy. Just do it, be a grinder. Yes, we have to work, but that philosophy kills everybody. It's, and it makes things take 10 times longer. It's a complete waste of time, but no one's shown us any different. It's the best we can do. And so here I was, dead broke. I had run my credit cards up. I had maybe $5,000 left of space on my cards that I could live off of. I'm an Uber driver, um, coming out of suicide. And every time I'd go to think of it, I'm like, oh my God, I got to come up with some career. I got to this. What am I? I go, stop, Kenny. Just stop. You're trying to control it again. Just let it come. Just let it come. It'll show up. The more you try and figure it out, the worse it'll be. And that went on for a couple, I, I can't remember, a couple months. And then remember, there's this reality show, Selling New York, bunch of kids, real estate agents in New York, right? And I came in from driving for Uber in the morning, flipped on the TV and that show came on and there was this guy, Luis. And I'm not disparaging gay people, but you'd think he's gay. He's very flamboyant, what we would characteristically consider gay. Very flamboyant, he's not, he's this Latin kid, very expressive. And he's like, like I turned the TV on, it goes right to this point of, oh my God, I'm so stressed. So I called my life coach. <laughs> and this other, you know, gorgeous 20-some-year-old kid comes in. He's like, okay, Luis, I want you to take three deep breaths. And, <sighs> and Luis like, oh, my God, I feel better. And I broke down laughing and crying. <laughs> Breath work is amazing. I teach it. It's very important. But true coaching of somebody goes so much deeper. And when I heard that, I went, oh, my God with all the years and like my counselor, my, the counselor really changed my life two months into seeing him. He, he started the ball rolling. This would have been 11 or 10 or 11 years before this story happened. We, it was a counseling appointment. He said, Kenny, you have a gift. You need to come work for me. You need, I know you left school early, go back at any piece of paper, but you're gifted at this. You need to be working with people. And so when I saw that moment and this kid suggesting breathing, all of my insight, I'm like, oh my God, I've always been gifted at this. I have so much knowledge and expertise in it. Well, of course. And so I went back out that afternoon to drive for Uber. And what's the first question you ask an Uber driver? So what's your real job, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I pick up a couple and they asked me that. And I paused and I said, I'm a life coach. Oh, and they said, really? And they proceeded to tell me the story. They'd been to countless therapists over two years. And it was, a, there was a lot of abuse going on at his career, at his job, and they didn't know what to do. There were a lot of mitigating factors. It wasn't like an easy, just quit the job. And so I pulled the car over and I asked him three questions. And at the end of those three, it was about six minutes. They were both bawling and hugging me. They finally had a solution. Wow. And, and I, I just, I dropped them off, broke down crying. I was like, this is who you've always been meant to be. And as I see, remember 3D movie, every single choice in that moment, that's literally when I discovered the 3D movie. I went, oh my God, every choice I ever made was leading me to this moment so that now I could teach it. I was out destroying myself learning how the cycle worked, 
learning about all of it and how to let it come. I was living the 3D movies so that I could then write about it, teach it, speak it, and pass it on to others. And every single person on this planet is doing the same thing. They just don't know what their mission is. They've lost their authenticity. They need the glasses to find that. And they'll have the exact same experience I've had. I've had it with countless clients. They rediscover, and, and it, that's the process for everybody. Wow, I, I'm, I'm just mind blown because this, this just makes so much sense when you really break it down so like specifically, right? And like why people do what they do. It is really just a beautiful and interesting way and also powerful way to look at life in the sense that it gives us this awareness and gives us the control over like how we're living now, right? We can't change the past anymore. We, we can change how we sort of bring it into our presence. So I absolutely love that. Now, you need to change the neurochemistry, and to do that, you have to go rework the neurochemistry that created the cycle. That's, that's what you're doing. So I'll stay out of the science of it, but it's called neural pathways and other things. So what, what changes us is emotion, not thought. That's another mistake in this industry. Everyone wants to get you to think different. Complete waste of time. You need to feel different, and, and most people don't want to talk about feelings. That's where the secret is. Your feelings drive your behavior. They drive your thoughts and your behavior. And so you have to change the way you feel. Well, the only way to do that is to clean up the cycle and the trauma. You have to rework those emotions and create new neural pathways of emotions that work for you instead of always victimizing yourself. So how does that work then? Like pr procedurally, really? Like, do you start like, even while you still have that trauma with things like gratitude and excitement, or do you first try to usually eliminate sort of the negative aspects and then add the positive how do you do that like great that's a great question the first step for everybody is a massive awareness process because most people are in massive denial that they're even in the cycle they're completely unaware the other thing you have to realize is over 67 percent of the population doesn't feel if you add they're so filled with trauma and detached you ask them what they feel, and here's how you know. They'll say, good, okay. Those aren't <laughs> Yes. All right? <laughs> so the first step is I, I, I don't have to. I give them the choice, um, and I, I tell them, I want you to go to Google, and I want you to type in feelings lists. There are millions of them. Print them off, and I want you to keep that with you every single day, and I want you to start making check marks to feelings. Whatever's happening, like – the first thing I have to do, because what, what happens in the cycle, I'll dip into a little bit of the science, but our brain formed in three pieces. The first was the emotional center, okay? That's why we always feel before we think. The second was intuition. The third was cognition. The least valuable of all of our brain pieces is cognition when it comes to living in our greatness. This is what we're using to avoid. What people are caught in the cycle, they've lost touch with the emotional center and the intuitive center. And so what I'm teaching is how to drop the cognition. Remember what I said, let it come, no thoughts? I got back in touch with the two pieces that drive everything, drive our greatness, emotion and intuition. And so I, the first thing I help them do is become an expert in what they're feeling. They, it's a massive self-awareness process because you have to map out how you're creating the cycle. The analogy I use in the book is this. Um, are you, have you ever uh, sledded? 
down oh, the yes. hill, hmm. hill. Imagine three feet of powder came down overnight and you're at the top of the hill and you go down the hill and you walk back up and you do that two or three times. Well, you've compressed the powder enough that if you wanted to steer the sled out of it, you can't. That's literally everyone on this planet. No one's taught them how to overcome their trauma and their pain. And so they think they're making decisions. Literally, their emotions are firing the same cognitive thoughts that they slide down the hill after a bad relationship. They take the exact same steps up the hill and pick the same partner or, or the same outcome is a better way of saying it. They may have picked the polar opposite, but they'll end up with the same outcome. So the process is, is one, they have to identify all the steps they take and all these different neural pathways, sledding basically cycles they've created in their life that destroy them. And as they become aware of that and all those pieces, then the process is, okay, now you can see all your normal steps. Let's try these steps up the hill. And when you try those steps, now you've created enough of an emotional chemical change, enough of a neural pathway change that you will take two steps to the left and start a new path down the hill. And now you take new steps. That becomes the new neural pathway. But the first, I mean, there are many layers to the recovery process, but the first is you have to become an expert in your feelings because feelings drive all behavior. And that's the first major step. Um, and then from there, it, it moves into many, many layers. Yes, for sure. No, but absolutely. I, I love that metaphor, by the way. Um, and so talking about feel, uh, feelings, one of the, the most devastating feelings people have is fear. And I heard you also break this down so beautifully because what most people don't struggle with is like, like people don't struggle with the fear of failure, right? It's really the fear of success oftentimes that yeah. stops people. So can you explain why that is? Another great question. First of all, nobody on this planet has ever been afraid to fail. It's another lie and misnomer in the personal development field. It is humanly not possible to fear failure. We all fear success. And here's the proof. Every single one of us lays in bed in the morning and knows exactly what we need to do to make our relationship better. I should buy her flowers. I should take them <laughs> on a I should send that email to my boss. I should, instead of making 10 phone calls today, I should make 15. I should go and volunteer at my kid's school so we have more of a connection. We all know exactly what to do. But in that moment, when we're laying in bed, what happens? We all go, ugh, I don't feel like it. Right there, you have chosen failure. That feeling that feeling in that moment is your worst day cycle. That's the trauma you learn. Remember I said in shame, we have to, we developed a false persona. We developed that false persona to get attachment to our parents. So when you're going, ah, I don't want to, that's your fear of success. Because if you actually pursued your authenticity, if you went after your greatness, you would drop that self-sabotaging false persona, which means what? You develop that to get attachment with your parents so that a uh, feeling is, oh my God, if I go become my authentic self and achieve my greatness, I will lose attachment to my parents. Screw that. I'll stay here in bed. I won't do it. 
That's what creates the fear of success. It's much deeper and I don't have time to go, but that's a glancing view at it. Cause I know people listening that like, you'll have to listen to that section over and over and over and eventually you'll get it. There, I would like to include more pieces, but I don't have time cause I want to get to fear. Fear is always one of three things. It's either the, the fear of rejection, the fear of inadequacy. In other words, I don't think I have the skills, tools, or knowledge or the fear of powerlessness. So like I have all my clients, whenever you, and, and the other thing to recognize is if you ever feel stress or anxiety, the clinical definition for both of those is fear. But it, here's one of the self, remember I said we create all these self-victimizations? We don't want to call things what they are. Yeah. If I tell you I'm stressed or anxious, what's the societal message? It generally means that I'm a better parent than you. I'm better in my relationship. I work harder than you. It's a badge of honor to be stressed yeah, right? Anxious, right? Well, what if I told you the truth that the clinical definition of both is fear? If I said, oh my God, I'm so afraid right now. Oh, oh yeah. what's wrong with you? So there's another example of how we self-victimize. We give it a new meaning so we don't have to deal with our cycle. So what my clients learn is if you ever, no one, it's not possible. No one ever rejects us. All they ever do is operate in their own best interests. It has nothing to do with you. But because of the scales of injustice, we all have massively low self-esteem. We're looking for outside validation to say I'm worthy. And so if you feel rejection, that's a self-esteem issue. Well, there are all these tools I give for people to build their self-esteem. So I, that's one solution. Inadequacy is the easiest fear. So your podcast, I'm sure when you decided to do this, there was oh my God, how do I start a podcast? What format? Yes. <laughs> what well, all that is, is I don't have the skills, tools, and knowledge. Well, that's simple. Go study. Right? <laughs> Go on Google. <laughs> Go Google. Like that's the easiest fear. You start a new job. Like I use the example of kids going off to college. Well, go a week early. Walk the campus. Walk your class list. Get familiar. That fear will go away. The most crippling because of childhood is powerlessness. This is what most people suffer from. And powerlessness almost always comes from the inability to say no. Remember what happened in childhood. Our parents, I couldn't speak my authenticity. I, so what I learned was I couldn't say no. I could never say no. And, and so the biggest thing I have to teach clients is how to say no. I have a whole chapter in it on my book and how powerful it is. The most destructive, and here's, here's the perfect example. How many times have we all been in a relationship and it breaks up and we sit around with our friends and go, that blankety blank. I cooked for them. I cleaned for them. I had sex when they wanted. And they wouldn't even mow the lawn and take the trash out. Right? <laughs> well, what that tells me is you were manipulating them. You were afraid of rejection. And so you cooked, cleaned, and had sex to manipulate out attention and affection. And the reason it's a manipulation is because you are now using it against them. You didn't do it freely. It had a cost. That's not love. Yet that's the model we've all been given. Oh, do things for others. No, please, like, please don't ever do anything for me because I don't want you to throw it back in my face. And so I have to teach clients, you always ask yourself these two questions before you ever say yes. 
One, will I ever resent them if I do this? Will this ever be something I resent doing? And two, am I ever going to throw it back in their face? Am I going to say, well, I did this and you won't do that? If you think either of those are possible, the most ugly, manipulative thing, relationship-breaking thing you could ever say is yes. And that's what we've all been chosen, been taught to do. The most loving thing in the English language, especially in relationships, is no. But look at childhood. We were not allowed to say no. And so when a client is anxious, stressed, or afraid, what is it? Do I fear rejection, inadequacy, or powerlessness? If it's rejection, self-esteem work. If it's inadequacy, go become an expert. If it's powerlessness, look for one, things I can control. Two, what, where am I giving myself away? Going against my own morals and values, my own needs and wants, my own negotiables and non-negotiables. What am I saying yes to that I want to say no to? There are many levels to powerlessness. There are several questions they have to go through. But you go satisfy that, the fear is gone disappears that's how but what are we all taught again it's the night philosophy come on just do it and so they teach you to get angry at the fear well anger in any form and any time is fear so you're using fear to motivate yourself well that's a finite power source it can work just like the booster engines on the space shuttle but eventually it implodes you run out of it and it always anger always boomerangs back it's never a solution. That's why the Nike philosophy is one of the worst commercials ever. It's destroying people. It's giving them a false narrative that continues their self-abuse. Wow, this is so interesting. Do you, do you think we can ever completely move out of fear to the point that we don't have any of that old trauma holding us back anymore? Do you think that's possible? I think, I sure, I think we're capable of anything. Look at how much we've changed as a species in millions of years. Think of it. Yes. Look, like, people get so myopic and go, well, it'll never happen. I'm like, look what's happened in the last 100 years. Like, of course, now, do I have any concept of what, it, you know, because I can hear people, well, we need fear to protect us. Well, we do now. But what if we had the emotional development that we didn't need it? It would work. If you create new neural pathways, it'll work itself out. I mean, look at our brain is formed in three sections. Could, if we go worked on the cycle, could we then possibly form a new portion to the brain that does something? Like, everything's possible. But we have to challenge those longstanding beliefs that we all have. Well, why don't we want to do that? Because then I'd have to give up my cycle, my victimhood, and I get so much power from having you try to fix my problems, I don't have to be responsible for it. I get to stay the child and stay falsely attached to my parents. That's why I love not dealing with personal development, my pain, the darkness, because it allows me to stay the infant, blame you, and stay falsely attached to my parents. What a what, like it's perfect. I don't have to be vulnerable, I'm free, no responsibility. Like there's so many payoffs to our current system of blaming everyone and everything. Like, you know, the whole border wall. I don't care politically. Like if you want a wall, great. If you don't, I don't care. But the bottom line is this. Adults know that if they cross the border, they're breaking the law. And the current law says we separate the families. Well, that's not the government's fault or Trump. That's the law. If you don't like the law, change it. Like I don't care. But the denial of truth 
that, wait a minute, they set up their own victimization and now they're going to blame Trump, Republicans, Democrats, Obama, because he didn't do it or whatever, like complete waste of time. Look about guns. Everyone wants to be, I like, if you want guns or no guns, I don't care. Change the law, do whatever you want. doesn't matter to me. But the bottom line is this, look at this, this is my phone, but that's a gun. It's an inanimate object that sits there and does absolutely nothing until what? A broken human being picks it up and exercises their unhealed trauma and brokenness upon the world. The cause is the cycle. The cause is unhealed trauma. Yet we as a society, we're in massive denial. Remember the scales of injustice. We want to treat the symptoms, not the cause. And that's what I realized in the suicide. Nobody wants to talk about the cause. And that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to be the one person who goes where nobody else has been willing to go because that's how you change it. Yes, Ken. I mean, I think every one of our listeners is, is, is getting that and feeling that right now, that like your ability to just go so deep into really the causes of all these underlying, you know, behaviors and all this obvious stuff that you see in your life is really has these deep causes. And that is so incredibly interesting. Thank now, you. I'm super fascinated with this idea of memento mori, of, of, you know, remembering death and the day that, you know, you're going to die and then sort of working your way back. And one of the questions I always love people is like, what do you want written on your tombstone? Um, what I'd love written on my tombstone is that every day he woke up and confronted his denial and his imperfections and loved to see how perfectly imperfect he was. That my, my, if I, my greatest gift is my ability to call myself out and look for how broken and manipulative and narcissistic and awful I am. The more I see that, the more self-esteem, the more self-love, because I'm in truth. Yes, and so yes. my willingness to do that is what I'm the most proud of. It's, if you read my book in the dedication, that's, that's, I dedicated part of the book, you know, many people, but that was, that was something I wrote to me. I'm very, I'll cry. It, it's the most wonderful thing about myself. To me, I'm incredibly proud of myself because that's just rare. We all, and it doesn't mean I still don't play the victim and, you know, I still don't screw up. I, you know, I screw up every day, but I don't beat myself up for it anymore. I love it when I see it because I know that's the only answer. And so that to me is, is if other people looked at me and went, yeah, he was that guy. I mean, it's, it's wonderful for me to feel it inside. I don't need other people to say it. It's my truth. But I would love, maybe that's a, a different question, a, a eulogy if someone else wrote it. I would have accomplished my goal if somebody else said that about me. If they said, yeah, he, yes. he didn't just talk that, he lived it. Because I'm saying it, it's just words. <laughs> but if, if people could see that in my actions, then I'd go, okay, that, that works for me. Yes, you know, there's some, some, something so beautiful in this courage, really, to, to face those fears, right? And to every day say, hey, I'm like imperfect, right? And yet I want to improve and I want to grow and I want to get better. And I love that, absolutely. Thank you. Thank now, one thing we also do always on the show is we love to celebrate failure as 
a stepping stone to our growth, to our character, to our you know, later success and resilience. So do you start your life as one particular failure that really sticks out that forced you to level up your life afterwards? Yeah, see, I call it getting to the other side. Um, when I had my epiphanies, um, what I discovered is I've never failed. All I was ever lacking was the glasses. I didn't know that I was teaching myself the solution. And so none of my, what most people would call bad days or mistakes. I'm like, I mean, look at, look at the abuse and my brother, all these different things. I'm sorry. You tell me where I screwed up. Look at what I was teaching myself. Like, where's the problem? I never failed. The only reason I didn't discover it sooner is nobody else had taught me about the glasses. I had to go figure it out myself. So yeah, I've nothing in my life has ever been bad. I love what, again, I'd say, I, I don't know you personally, so I, I don't want to point the finger at you, but most people, when I say you, I mean the collective you, you would say it's bad or it's failure. Well, that's not, when you get to the other side of this journey, your experience and your outlook is completely different. You're like, oh God, the answer was in the pain. Why didn't someone tell me that earlier? Like the failure isn't failure. It's just a lack of understanding of what you're trying to teach yourself. And that's all we're ever doing. But no one's taught us that's how it works and we need the glasses. And so I don't see it as the biggest failure. Um, I just see it as me teaching how, how to find the glasses. Absolutely love that. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why I ask this question to every single person I interview, because the, the response is, is very, very similar to, to what you just said, which is like, right. like most successful and happy people don't conceptualize failure in the same way that the average person does. I mean, they don't see it as this devastating event that's going to crush them, but they see it as a way where they simply had to learn something that, that they hadn't learned at the time yet so to understand something, to dive deeper. And I love this aspect or this way of looking at failure as really simply a, a current inadequacy that we can later fix, something that we haven't mastered yet in our lives. And here's ultimately what I believe the solution and, and, what, and the reason for that is. The people that are in that position wanting that piece. They're wanting to know, how do I get there? The solution for all of us on this planet, we are all stuck in grief. The, four, the first four stages of grief, shock, denial, bargaining. Um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Um, it'll come to me. Okay. And what people that are searching for the answer through success and everything is all of grief happens to all of us in childhood, suppression of ourselves, the secret, all of those things. We're all in massive pain and grief. And so basically what we're all doing is we're either avoiding our grief through denial or bargaining. Um, we're angry. You know, these are all defense mechanisms of grief. And so we're all stuck in grief throughout our life. In all these stages, we bounce through the four, you know, the first four stages of grief because we've never addressed our pain. What caused the grief? 
Well, people who get to the other, what I call the other side, and it, as you're saying, that can describe failure differently, what they have in common is this. They have all addressed the underlying pain, as I call it, the darkness, the trauma we've all suffered. They've grieved. They have cried. They have mourned. They have faced the anger. They have stopped bargaining. And what that does is that brings them acceptance. That's the fifth stage of grief. Once we get to that stage, we're free. We don't see it as failure. When you're stuck and you don't have freedom in your life, it's because you're in the denial, the anger, the bargaining. And I, as soon as we stop the show, I'll go, the fourth was this. <laughs> Um, just Google it. You'll, you'll, everyone, everyone listening is probably screaming. It's this, it's this. <laughs> um, but they haven't processed out all their pain yet. And so many people, most people die in grief. They die in this place. They've never reconciled their darkness and their trauma. Once you do that, once you grieve and cry and move through all that pain, acceptance comes. That's peace, that's freedom, that's success, greatness, all of it. So that's, that's all you're hearing is people who, who refuse to learn about their cycle, refuse to look at the 3D movie, refuse to deal with their pain. They're reliving, they're stuck in the grief cycle. Absolutely love that. And a fantastic way to sort of round off this topic. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? So what's your favorite, you know, website, social media, whatever it is. Yeah, tons of places. The, the easiest place is just Google Kenny Weiss. It's W-E-I-S-S. From there, like my Instagram is uh, Kenny Weiss Coach. Also, The Greatness Movement. I have two Instagrams. Um, LinkedIn, Kenny Weiss. Facebook, Kenny Weiss. Um, what else? My book, Your Journey to Success, you can find on Amazon. It's in all formats, Kindle, paperback, and Audible. Uh, my website, www.thegreatnessmovement.com. Uh, my podcast, you can find on all the typical audio outlets. But I also do it live Sunday night, uh, 7 p.m. Arizona time, both on Facebook and YouTube. And that's the other. I have a YouTube channel with over 200 videos. If you're looking to turn your life around, there's a ton of free information. And if you're looking for help, if you're struggling with stuff and you, you, any of what I said resonated with you, please call me 480-729-3270. I work with clients all across the country and world through Skype or FaceTime. So um, I basically, I specialize in relationships, addiction, trauma, abuse, um, anxiety, fear, stress. So I have a breadth and depth of expertise that I work with. Fantastic. Awesome. Going so. to link to that as well then. Now, my final question is, what is your quest for greatness? So what is that big vision that you have for your life that you want to bring to the world? And how can maybe our listeners, if they really enjoyed this episode, how could they support you in that? Well, uh, I'll do the support part first. On Facebook, I have a private Facebook group. It's called uh, Greatness Movement Community. It's a community group. Just send an invite, let you in. Um, it, that's the mission of the greatness movement. The, the purpose to answer your first question is twofold. One, to give this people the skills, tools, and knowledge. All this stuff that I'm saying, this should be taught. Like, 
I know my stuff freaks people out, but this should be second nature. And, and, and so that's, if people don't have this information, they will be stuck in the four stages of grief their whole life. And this is the only way I've seen that is the way out. And so it's giving people the information. And in the process of doing that, my ultimate hope is that creates a society, a community that then goes, teaches it to others. Like right now it's all about, oh, Kenny Weiss, because you know, my stuff is all starting to get discovered. But I, what I really hope is something bigger where everyone else goes and becomes an expert in the cycle and they teach it and spread it. And so 50 years from now, it's like, what's this greatness movement thing? Yeah, who started? I can't, I, Kenny, I, I don't know who, what, I, I don't know, but it's about the movement. It's a societal shift of, no, this is, this is how we live our lives. And it's less about, oh, Kenny, the speaker and all that stuff. That, that's what I would like to see happen. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to, you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.